Wine is science, art, geography, and history, all contained within a bottle. Make the Culinary Stone your go-to for wine shopping, and we'll show you why it transports and transcends. Visit culinarystone.com for more information. It's almost impossible to get good Oregon Pinot Noir for $19.99, but I yeah, think this yeah. one is. Yeah. So I asked, you've already tasted it? <laughs> I know. So the rosé I asked you to provide because tomorrow is International Rosé Days. And I know, Trevor, you love, you hang on every single wine holiday there is. Uh, you love them. A more facetious statement was never made. It's been a long week, right? Are you ready to wind down? Why not? It's time for the Wine Time Fridays podcast with Shelly and Phil. Neither are sommeliers, but both have a deep passion for life, each other, and delicious wine. And now, here to talk about this week over a glass of wine is Shelly and Phil. It's wine time. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Wine Time Fridays. Shelly, this is going to be a fun one. Um, we need, we need to get to this right now. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's wine time. Um, we have a guest tonight who we've probably named more than anybody Except other Gary than Vanderchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> <laughs> we have Trevor Treller, the certified sommelier down at the Culinary Stone. You just heard the Culinary Stone spot right before we started. Uh, because they are a sponsor to this podcast and Trevor, we talk about him all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, we need this wine. We'll just run down to the Culinary Stone and get his opinion. He's always giving us great tips about wine Mm -hmm. and just, we're going to get into all of that stuff. First of all, Trevor, welcome and thank you for being on the episode. And uh, thank you for having me. It's an honor and uh, I am uh, more than thrilled to help anytime you ever have a wine question and I always will be. Yep. So you, um, we should do a proper toast on this. First of all, what are we having? Well, this is a rosé, right? This is a rosé from Sicily Okay. Uh, by the famed and vaunted Planeta winery that was put on the map about a generation ago, although they of course already existed at that point, by Robert Parker Jr. when he raved about, of all things, one of the Chardonnays that they had made. Nice. Um, as memory serves, it was approximately back in the late 90s put them on the map overnight, as it were. Uh, But they were always a highly respected winery in Sicily, although not largely known outside of Sicily or certainly outside of Italy until that time. Uh, This rosé is appellated Sicily, meaning that they source the fruit from at least two different places. It does have its own DOC, but this is a 50-50 blend of Nero d'Avola and Syrah. Nice, well, uh, this is the proper toast. To health, wealth, and abundance, gratitude, Romance and peace on earth. Amen. Right. Cheers and to your goodness. I love this pink. I love well, the color will often at least hint at what that rose has in store for you, whether in terms of extraction, in terms of extended skin contact, or lack thereof. This one almost has an orange hue more than a pink or a fuchsia. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that often tells me that it's going to be a more restrained, more serious, and often more world-class style of rosé than terribly extracted, almost red ones. 
Um, and in the old world, you're likely to, to see this, this orange tone more than you are in domestic rosés, although there are world-class domestic rosés, certainly. You know, we did a, uh, an episode with Sam Lang, uh, someone you worked closely with for many years. Four years. Of at Beverly's, yeah. Uh, we had a gross grain uh, vineyard, Skin Contact Semio. Mm. Gross grain? They don't say grow grain. Grow grain? I've heard it pronounced both ways. Oh, thank goodness. Edit, edit, edit. Their first one. Uh, also, very, very pale, very straw. We come to find out most of the rosés that are really dark color aren't our favorite. They're a little bit sweeter, aren't they? They tend to be, but it isn't. Uh, it doesn't naturally follow that ones that are terribly pink in color will automatically have more residual sugar. But the winemakers that choose to have extended skin contact and have that color, which itself kind of implies more voluptuousness in the wine, right? Uh, they will tend to make them in such a way that they will have a little bit of residual sugar. And with very few exceptions, those wines are geared more toward novices for obvious reasons. Well, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but they can be considered a gateway wine, right? Oh, very much. Yeah, for sure. And white uh, Zinfandel. Well, it's not a rosé. Uh, with with very few exceptions, uh, all rosé wines are red wines. But there's a lot of people who are new to wine who are leery of red wines and very wary of them because they find them too robust, too structured, too tannic. Um, they're just unaccustomed to them. Uh, but all rosé wines are red wines because they're made from, from red grapes and they just see limited skin contact, only enough time to impart a pinkish color to the wine rather than a deep red. So it's a natural entree into the world of red wines and a way for you to do it while consuming the mildest expression of what that red wine can be. We were in Canada, Penticton. Really not surprised us, the quality of wines up there. One of these rosés, they said, skin contact is 15 minutes. Yeah. Was it 15 minutes or 45 minutes, something no, like that? It wasn't 45. Yeah, 15 minutes. Wow. I mean, just a kiss of skin, right? Yeah. Um, just the lightest of colors. Uh, what should we be getting on this? Because it, it's very floral to me. Let's analyze the wine together. I'm getting an herbaceous note. I am getting a floral note. Let's, let's give it another taste. It's floral, not just in its aspect on the front palate, in the beginning of the wine, generally floral as much on the palate as it is in the mouthfeel. It tastes dusty. It tastes like pulverized flower petals. Wow. Um, there's a subtle hint of rose. Um, there's almost a subtle hint of saffron in this. And on the mid palate, I'm getting some strawberry notes. And then on the back end, it goes a little minerally uh, to the direction of stone rather than metal. Uh, it does have a long finish, though, doesn't it? It does. And there's a vibrant acidity in this wine, which is lovely. And that will generally make it a, a really suitable thing for wine, excuse me, for food pairing. Mm. What would you pair? We have to do that more often. Talk about, yeah. So what would you pair with this? Well, a shellfish and things like that? Right off the top of my head, although it's not an Italian or a Sicilian dish, I could pair this with paella if it isn't overly spicy, because this is a very dry rosé. doesn't have any RS or residual sugar to counter any of uh, the heat elements you might encounter from the chorizo element right. of paella. I would serve this with grilled octopus. Oh, wow. Um, and that is a very Sicilian dish, although you'll find it across the Mediterranean. Uh, I would pair this with 
maybe a very, very subtle, used judiciously cream sauce element to any dish. If it wasn't overly heavy cream, like this isn't really Italian food, it's an American notion of Italian food, but I wouldn't pair this with an Alfredo sauce, that's for sure. But I might pair it with a carbonara. It's delish. What do you think, Shelly? Yeah, it's really good. I like the buns. You realize this episode we will not have to put an explicit tag on after last week. We had to put an explicit tag on. Oh, the, the, the day is young. Oh, it's true. Well, we have dropping dishes and we're going to have expletives at any point. But uh, yeah, we had the mans on last week and Russell was throwing them after the... After that third glass of wine during the episode, he was dropping uh, expletives all over the place. <laughs> we had to put an expletive tag on. First one ever on this podcast was last week. Uh, moving on, what do we have for the next one? Well, shall we dive right into the next one? Let's uh, finish well, what's in our glasses or yeah, dump out, I guess. Some of us, uh, when we are not talking, like me, which is a kind of a change, uh, I plowed right through it. Well, the next thing we have is a second label of the famed Sokol Blosser Winery in Willamette Valley, Oregon. This is their second label or line called Evolution. This is a 2019 generally appellated Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. And it sure does. And you will find it to be quite bright, but also tasting quite what you would expect it to. Let's analyze this one. Cheers. What what, what was the, uh, yeah, let's. uh, uh, Cheers. Cheers. What was the price point on the rose? I have chosen wines, all three today, happen to retail at the Culinary Stone for $19.99. Oh, nice. Nice. All under 20 bucks. All under That's 20 bucks. Like it is. And we are going for... Or we could for, party even a little further with another penny and make it drunk now. We could. I, I was going for the, as we say in the industry, the QPR. Yeah, yeah. The quality to price ratio. Perfect. Yep. These wines exhibit tremendous bang for the buck. I mean, you can get rosés for less than $19.99, but not really at this quality of the Planeta. It's almost impossible to get good Oregon Pinot Noir for $19.99, but I it think this is. one is. Yes. So I asked, you've already tasted it? Sorry, yes, we already <laughs> I know. Yes, so the rosé I asked you to provide, because tomorrow is International Rosé Days. And I know, Trevor, you love, you hang on every single wine holiday there is. You I, love them. A more facetious statement was never made. <laughs> I think it's silly. I, it, I was joking earlier that for all we know, today is uh, Leprosy Awareness Day, um, Bunt Cake Day, and, uh, cake. and hey, who knows what else. I think it's yeah. Bumbolini Day. <laughs> it could yeah, be Bumbolini Day. was yeah. National Giraffe Day. We don't get into those days. Every, we get into the wine days. Every day probably has two or three national uh, distinctions attached to it and two or three international ones. And, and it, 10 years from now, there'll be several more. I wouldn't surprise it, you. It's okay. When, it's, when wine is involved, we're all for it. So every day is wine celebrate day. Celebrate every day. That's right. Celebrate every day. Absolutely. So that's why I asked about the rosé, and thank you very much. These other two, you're like, I can, I can deal with this. I'll get you a great uh, bang for the buck, beautiful wines. And man, you start with an Oregon Pinot right off the bat. Is this 100%? It's 100% Pinot Noir. No serious winemaker. And I won't name names because there are some very famous ones who do this, but mm. no respectable winemaker will blend anything into their regular still Pinot Noirs. Now, it's a different matter if you're making a Metaux Champenoise, a Champagne-style wine. Yeah. Um, but the only people who blend other grapes with Pinot Noir 
are quite hacks. frankly despicable winemakers. They're hacks. <laughs> yeah, some of them fetch decent prices too, but so we, we in, won't we won't name names. In Burgundy, they're all 100 percent. 100 percent. That's fantastic. 100 percent. 100 percent of the time. Wow. So that doesn't even leave any room for the window being open there. Um, talk a little bit about the culinary stone and they've never, to your knowledge, you're the only certified sommelier in Idaho at a bottle shop. Is that right? I do. Running, but, running to, a wine to my knowledge, yeah. to, to my knowledge, I'm the only uh, credentialed sommelier that is overseeing a uh, wine department in the panhandle of Idaho, the five northern counties. For all I know, it's all of Idaho, although it suddenly it becomes less likely. I just haven't met one. Um, but I have spent 25 years in the salt mines of the restaurant industry, and it's so wonderful for me to be here and to oversee uh, both the wine club and teach the wine classes that we have here every Saturday. And during the summer, starting July 10th, we're doing them for eight weeks straight on Saturdays as well. So the first time you said Saturday, and then you said Saturday, but the first time you meant Sunday. Did I say that? Because you're really We were joking about how senile I am. <laughs> I'm only 49, but already my mind. So uh, every Sunday, uh, I, we do teach, I teach wine classes here at the Culinary Stone, but from July 10th until the final Saturday in August, nice. we're teaching a series of eight Saturday classes as well. That's fantastic. And are so, those at 2 o'clock Oh, thank you for that, uh, Shelley. Good question. No, Sundays are 2 p.m., Saturdays are 3 p.m. while they last. And uh, this is in an effort to try to get some... This is a great segue because your wine club, which is the Noble Rotten's Wine Club, uh, a, a nod to the Noble Rot. Betrayers. Mm -hmm. uh, Betrayers, yes. <laughs> she knows I don't try those hard words. She'll be going through all the wines we enjoyed last week or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, she'll be naming all those because she's the one that speaks much more fluent other languages. But uh, you have uh, these wine club members are really loyal and they love your wine classes. We have been wine club members in that uh, club for three or four years, even before you got here. Um, but they are grabbing up those spots every Sunday. So this is a little of an attempt to try to get other people in, right? And try Precisely. to expose them. Yeah, for Precisely. sure. I, at this point, um, and I'm very humbled and at the same time, strangely proud of this, the Sunday classes sell out weeks in advance uh, and they are sold out now largely into late July. So we didn't want first timers to be denied an opportunity to attend these things, not just out of towners and visitors to Coeur d'Alene, but just people who've never come to a class and they may prefer the idea of a Saturday over a Sunday. None of the Saturdays is sold out yet. Uh, and it's only $15 a person, yeah. uh, which is tremendous. And you get food. We feed you, we give you about $50 worth of wine. You're gonna taste several world-class wines, not to mention the instruction with a lively Q&A afterwards and the lively convivial atmosphere that pervades these things. Everyone has a blast and becomes fast friends. Um, so it is, as I say, I, I call it the best value, but it certainly is one of the best values in a wine class anywhere on planet Earth, quite frankly, because we lose money on the affair. Uh, and who else is gonna do that? But. Uh, losing money uh, it, it, it's basically a marketing it's well, it, it's to bring it's, 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 it's to it's everything it's yeah. to spread the word about what our wine club is and people who wanted people will often attend one class and then join our wine club 
Also, every wine that we get that we give generous pours of throughout Sunday or Saturday classes is available for sale after the class right. if anyone wants to take any home with them. And having experienced that, we know we for a fact. We take something. Well, we do, but those things go. Uh, well, you'll yeah. have a lineup of five or six of these mm -hmm. wines, and then boom, they're gone. Uh, if you haven't noticed by now, Trevor has got a grasp of the English language like few do. The front end spot he wrote, wine is science, art, geography, and history all contained within a bottle. Make the culinary stone your go-to for wine shopping. We'll show you how it transcends and transports. Not in that order. But it's, uh, I've used that often when talking about wine is the transports and transcends because it really is uh, something. What is it about wine that just turns you on about wine? Well, it is, uh, and this isn't even an arguable thing. It, it is quite literally the most complex beverage on earth. And scientists don't even entirely understand why. You can ferment anything with sugar in it. So you can make alcohol out of anything with sugar. You can make strawberry alcohol or you can, you can do kombucha. You can, you can make blueberry alcohol if you wanted to. Um, you can make rhubarb alcohol. But wine grapes and wine grapes alone undergo several uh, chemical reactions during fermentation whose signatures put off notes that are everything and anything but grape. Isn't that interesting? It truly, none anything of this is added. But grapes. Yes, if I, like, it, let's analyze this Pinot yeah, Noir you know, just as an example. The color of and then we'll fantastic, talk about, by the way. Mm, both red and black cherry notes. Um, violet, I'm getting uh, violet flowers in this. I'm getting a little bit of a soft ash. Um, maybe even a subtle hint of black tea. None of those things is infused. None of them is added. It all happens naturally. And the signatures that are put off during fermentation are so like to the real thing that it tricks your brain into thinking yeah. that's what you're tasting. So in the movie Sideways, there is this really intimate conversation out on the back deck over a, a really good glass of wine. And she said, like, if I opened a bottle of wine today, it would taste different than if I opened it on any other day. Because a bottle of wine is actually alive. It's constantly evolving and gaining complexity. That is until it peaks. There's the tipping point, and now it's on the, on the downside. So not only is that analogous to human beings, and yeah. both of them in midlife, getting yep. older, he a divorcee, and her as well, as, yeah. as memory serves with that movie. Yeah. Um, it's also analogous to the fact that the Cheval Blanc that he was keeping, that he drank at the end of the film, the 40, uh, in the, the styrofoam cup, yeah. I think it was a 61 or 66, okay, I, I'm go. trying to remember which. She said, it's peaking now and should be drunk soon. And, and it is very, very so. Uh, Virginia Madsen's character said that in the film, yeah, and uh, so not good. only was that brilliantly cast, that movie, as we all know who've seen it, and crassness and bodiness sure. aside in that movie, uh, I always tell everyone to watch it because they must have had a really legit wine consultant when that mm -hmm. script was written because, quite frankly, they got nothing wrong. It uh, is, isn't that great? It is one of the better wine movies ever made. Now, they single-handedly spiked the Pinot Noir world while Decreasing at the same time the decreasing the Merlot world. Now, that shows a couple things. In, in my mind, it shows the gullibility and the sheephood of most human beings, <laughs> the, the masses, if the you will. Sheephood. But it also, it, 
Now, I've never seen the director's cut, but I've been told, Ooh, and I want to, I've, yeah. I've been told that the director's cut explained. Now, first off, irony of ironies, the Chateau Cheval Blanc is a right bank Bordeaux. The thing he was drinking, that coveted bottle at the end of the movie, in a out brown of the styrofoam bag cup. In a styrofoam cup. That wine is 95% Merlot. So there's the first irony right there. That is freaking awesome. But also it showed that uh, film in a scene that was cut explained why Paul Giamatti's character hated Merlot so much for the sole reason that that ex-wife of his that he was pining after so, so much, that was her favorite grape. And that's the only reason he hated it. And that makes perfect oh, sense. That, that, that is something they should have kept in. For Very sure. Cool. For sure. Somehow subtly bringing that in at the end. Yeah. No fooling. Talk about tasting room do's and don'ts. I know you have probably a fairly extensive list. I only want like the top two or three uh, do's and don'ts uh, that you see people making either the mistakes or the, the the good things they do or should be doing. I all know the time. one has well, to do with water. One of the biggest you should remain. Yes, Shelley, you're quite right. You you should and you must remain hydrated. You should kill water even if you feel like you don't want or need it. And I let me emphasize, want it. Even if you don't want it, force yourself to kill water. At least a glass in between. I know, we ha as we sit here without any. Uh, if you're doing a day of, uh, of wine tasting in wine country, first off, don't be an amateur. Don't go to more than three tasting rooms. Right? Do it right. Spend some time when you're there. If, if it's at the right time of year and they like you and you've asked intelligent questions, who knows? You'll they, be might take, they might take you back to the barrel room and give you a barrel sample. Oh, man, don't even tease like that because I have yet to have a barrel taste. Well, I'm in the industry and it's only happened to me a handful of times. Yeah, uh, they often don't have time, but I don't know. I would just say think before you speak, but if you're a wine amateur, you shouldn't be walking on eggshells. Ask a question if you're wondering about it, but just know that... Uh, be humble in the answer that you receive if it goes contrary to your predispositions because chances are if you're an amateur you asked a stupid question without realizing you did. It's no big deal. They're not going to judge you harshly at the tasting room unless you're acting like a jerk. And by the way, they want to educate. Yeah, they very they, much do. They, you are a brand new customer to the wine industry. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I thought one of those might have been uh, no cologne, no perfume. That, well, that's tremendous. If you want to really do them a favor, uh, ladies, wear a lip stain rather than lipstick or nothing at all is even better. Uh, but also, if you wear a uh, prominent or pronounced cologne or perfume, you are necessarily it, putting off the effluvia, effluvium of this into the room and you're competing with the subtle nuances that can be contained within the nose of these wines. And it is... Uh, even though it isn't intentional on the part of most people, it is an inconsiderate thing to do. Um, Looking up influvium right now. <laughs> it usually refers to body odor, but it may as well refer to body odor in the case of strong colognes and perfumes, yeah, right? because it will absolutely detract from everybody else's experience in that tasting room, and whether you know it or not, it'll detract from your own. Yeah, yeah it will. I, I mean, you want to go in with as fresh nose and palate as possible. And they are so put. They're, they're hand in hand. What you smell and what you taste. Yep. It's one of these things where I, I just recently learned when you're smelling a wine and you taste and smell it uh, on the way in, and then continue smelling. Uh, it, it just combines. Everything combines. Yes. So uh, that's and and then how about the the dues? For dues, um, 
it's just the reverse of some of the things we've talked about already. Be humble, be kind. Um, don't treat them like some sort of a bus person or lackey there. If they're in a tasting room, and, and I, I must say, this isn't always the case, although it should be, but for the most part, they're going to be fairly well-versed in wine if they're working the counter at a tasting room. They should uh, be, right. For two, if you're kind to them, they can often pull out something special from beneath the counter that isn't listed on the sheet before you and give you a taste of that, that if you were uh, not being uh, kind to them, you would never, ever, ever, ever see in a thousand years. Um, listen to the answers of the questions you ask. Uh, if it is something that is an answer that surprises you or runs counter again to your predispositions, even more so at that point, listen to the answer. You'll certainly learn something. Yeah. Uh, and then you will build brick by brick a, a sort of a context in your mind for future tasting. Uh, and everyone on earth has it within him or her to become a wine lover, whether they know it or not. Most people live their lives out never having realized it. Uh, but everybody, short of allergies, if you have allergies, that's a moot point. But, yeah, uh, but if it, if it isn't for that, you have it within you to become a, a tremendous wine lover. Uh, you just have to be exposed to the right ones at the right time and in the right sequence. As a business owner, you realize how important it is to use the power of social media to market your business. But you really don't want to spend full-time money by hiring a full-time staff or hand over the reins to a third party to manage it. Honor your business and yourself by taking control of your social media marketing with the help of the social web inner circle. In this ever-changing world of social media, the social web inner circle will teach you social media strategies, giving you a leg up on your competition with exclusive monthly learning calls featuring national experts in social media, exclusive monthly open Q&A calls with the social web founders, and exclusive active Facebook group community where you can ask questions and receive support whenever you need it, an exclusive monthly print newsletter mailed to your home or office, and more. You owe it to your business to make 2021 the best year ever and using social media the proper way will vault you toward that goal. Visit thesocialweb.news for more information and to see how unbelievably affordable the inner circle is. The Social Web and the Social Web Inner Circle, helping you untangle the web of social media marketing. And we have people listening to this podcast who are coming up to me and saying, you know, this we want more education. And so that's what we're trying to do uh, because we're trying to educate from the, the ground floor up, not, not people that like are in the wine club and things like this. Those people know. Well, you know, I go, I go a little bit deeper on Sunday wine classes, but that doesn't mean that someone who's being first exposed to wine for the first time ever won't still take something away from it. Right. You will, especially if you attend a few of these events. And considering for $15 you're getting lunch, several wines and everything else, why in heck wouldn't you want to come to several in a row? Mm -hmm. But when you establish the rudiments of wine and learn the fundamentals of wine appreciation, you'll never lose those. Other no. parts of wine knowledge you might forget over time. If you do, by definition, they weren't as important as the rudiments. And once you establish those fundamentals, it'll be a foundation upon which to build for the rest of your life. Do you remember the first, well, before I ask that question, we should move to the I third wine. Oh, the third wine indeed. So, uh, are we naming this wine? Bridge Press Cellars Evil Queen Bordeaux-style blend. 
And if it is a Bordeaux style blend, it is uh, usually, almost always, going to be predominantly either Cab Sauv or Merlot. This wine is uh, largely both. Uh, as memory serves... Would it be 50-50? Nope. It's, uh, it's probably about 60 or 70% Cab and Merlot combined. This, the precise blend composition eludes me because I acquired this wine several months ago. Okay. They round it out with small amounts of one or more of the following, Petit Verdot, Malbec, uh, and Cabernet Franc, of course. Those are the five principal grapes of Bordeaux. No Carmenere. No Carmenere, although they do have that under cultivation in Washington, of course. Of course. Uh, now, Bridge Precious in is interesting. Cheers. Cheers. They are centered and located in Spokane. Obviously, you can't grow serious wine grapes in Spokane. The agricultural zone isn't quite right for it. But you can easily have a winery there because you source your fruit from farther south, uh, which they do. And uh, this is their Evil Queen Bordeaux-style blend in the 2017 vintage. Let's uh, give this a taste. So, I shouldn't say this, but I smell paint. But you should you not smell. say that. Well, <laughs> so... Let's, let's delve into that. Here, here, is it okay to yell fire in a crowded theater? No, generally not. But it is if there's a fire in a theater. Well said. So well, let's let's analyze yeah, yeah, what right. maybe so, some of these petrochemical notes. That's right. Paint and then cherry. Well, at least we moved to the cherry. I'm uh, getting cherry I'm sticks. getting pepper on the palate. I'm getting a little bit of pepper. I'm getting on this wine a little bit of kind of what is sometimes referred to in the wine world as a. a a slight acetone nail polish note. Typically that will happen in Beaujolais sometimes because of carbonic maceration. Uh, it can rear its head in other ways. If it's subtle, it's not a flaw. Wine will sometimes exhibit petrochemical notes. Yes, yeah, Skullduggery just walked through the door here uh, two, at the culinary Two stone. personified examples on legs of Skullduggery just came through the <laughs> waving at us. Uh, we have to name drop Ethan. Ethan and Adam, yeah. noble rottens to their core. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and, and in fact, in full disclosure, Phil and Shelley are noble rottens, but you've that's already right. said that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I figured we'd throw Skullduggery out there as a nod to Shelley's dad and to impress you for our own vocabulary. Mm. Very good. <laughs> Adam's not impressed. Very good. <laughs> Adam just threw up a little bit in his mouth. So, uh, back to the question, do you remember your first wine that you had? Your very first glass of wine. I don't, but I remember the very first glass of wine that moved me. So that would and be your gateway, right? My gateway, the yeah. wine that did it for me. Yeah. Now, now it depends on how you define that. I liked wine before this, and I drank wine before this. But the first wine that truly made me realize that wine can be more, it's kind of embarrassing because it's just a mid-tier wine. Um, but the first world-class wine I ever had was in a particularly good vintage, the 97 vintage of Napa. I had this in the year 2000, the newly released BV Tapestry, Bordeaux-style blend. What's wrong with Beaulieu? Nothing's wrong with Beaulieu vineyards. They make, they make some, I mean, the Georges de la Tour is still one of the uh, most celebrated blue chip wines of, of Napa, if you will. Yeah. And that's made and by them. Trailblazers, too, really. I mean, they're the front end of, of Napa Absolute wine, right? front yeah, end. So. They, were, they were there in the beginning with a handful of other trailblazers and pioneers. Uh, but I had an epiphany when I tasted that wine about 21 years ago, and I realized, um, okay, 
I've already been in restaurants for years. I had newly transitioned into fine dining and I sipped that wine and it was the first wine, quote unquote, that did it for me. Uh, everyone has one. Um, and then I threw myself more and more into wine. I became a sponge for wine knowledge and wanted to learn more and more. The wine is dead now. For anyone who still has a 97 tapestry in your cellar, uh, that wine is long dead uh, because 97 was a warm, opulent vintage and those wines did not have, have the longevity. Maybe a decade at most. I would say at most. Yeah. The 98 vintage, which was largely panned, had a much greater lifespan and then sort of came into its own 10 years plus beyond, which was kind of nice. Uh, 98 tapestries might still be alive, maybe. Shelley, do you uh, remember your gateway wine? Did you have, do you have two of them? My first wine was Tickled Pink. <laughs> and I can't remember who that's by. My gateway wine, I think, was an Almadine Merlot. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mine was Mersolet. Chardonnay. It was? Yeah. yeah. With you. That's funny. Yeah. Now, Mersolet, uh, back however long ago this was, um, I remember drinking Mersolet wine, especially in the beginning and being fond of it. Um, it's not about. A lot, a lot of oak. But it's balanced out now. It's, it's amazing yeah. the trends, yeah, right? Well, um, they, make, they make their silver, which is their unoaked, yes. of course. Uh, but I think that it, it is maybe an example of one of those wines that is not what it once was. But um, it's still something worth drinking, and it's still a reasonably priced wine. So before, in the oh. 70s, I used to be in a wine club in Southern California <laughs> called Wino. W -I -N. Wine Investigation for Novices and Enterprise. Nice. Yeah, yeah. With, with Jerry Mead. It was out of, uh, he was out of San Francisco, but it was really fun. We had dinner. It would have been a fine time to be in San Francisco, being in close proximity to burgeoning Napa. Burgeoning, that's right. Um, a lot of the 78 wines were really good. Mm. Uh, you threw away uh, 78 Opus, didn't you? I don't know what year the Opus was. The first year. I had to throw it away. Because it was in the garage. Ah, uh, so it was, it was cooked. Yes. Yeah. But it was only go. $25. Yeah, that blows my mind. I mean, it's amazing. Even accounting for inflation, wine is three times more expensive than it used to be. But I'm sorry, Phil, go on. I asked you this before we started recording. You started answering. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. No, I can't hear you because I don't want to know the answer yet. But I do now. <laughs> what is the one wine question you get asked over and over and over again? There's got to be one that kind of sifts to the top. Well, just off the top of my head, I get this largely meaningless, contextless question far more often than I wish I did. What should I drink? Yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's an entirely meaningless question. and I don't mean to insult or impugn the askers of it, but if somebody asks that, I automatically know they're a, a rank novice in wine. Um, and I was a rank novice in wine once. Everyone necessarily starts out there. It's something to be ashamed of. But try to, before you ask, what should I drink, give a little bit of background to the person you're posing that question to about what it is you've liked in the past. Um, if you can't even say that much, if you're asking me, what should I drink, I'm going to put a sweet thing in your hands. Now, I'm not going to put a low-quality sweet thing in your hands. I'm going to put a fine sweet right, thing right, in your hands. Right, right, right. But... Uh, it's analogous to a baby. Uh, when a toddler starts eating solid foods, what does that child prefer, fruit or vegetable? Fruit. Fruit, always. Because sweet things, sugar, uh, are the most appreciable to the human palate when you're just starting out. Likewise, when you're a wine baby, 
Yeah. You're going to gear more towards sweet wines than tannic, structured, or acidic wines. Like a Moscato di Canale. Uh, a Moscato di Canale, a Moscato di Asti, a Moscato di Lombardia, mm -hmm. something oh, like that. Or no, oh, I would yeah, say that's go, even too, that's even too complex for a beginner. I would say, but they would probably like it at least, even though it, it would be put, they would be lost on them. <laughs> um, but Moscato d'Asti style wines are also lovely because they can be quite beautiful. They're moderately sweet. They're as the Italians say frizzante. They're slightly sparkling, but they're low alcohol wines. They're only about five and a half percent alcohol by volume. Mm. They're as strong as beer. So you can really quaff this stuff without wishing you were dead the next morning. We were really impressed that that Lambrusco we had a couple, three weeks ago, 8.5% ABV, which is like, oh my gosh, this is great. Uh, Shelly and I pour, well not last summer because of COVID, but we pour at the uh, Taste Washington, uh, excuse me, Vintage Spokane now. And at Vintage Spokane. I, I saved it. Um, we pour at the whiteout table. Probably 20 to 25 white wines that are supposed to pair well with uh, fish, shellfish, things like that. And seafood, seafood, because yeah. Anthony's used to have a seafood bar right next to Yeah, so the people get right from the seafood bar to the whiteout table. I get asked, and I know you do too, but I probably five times in the course of this four hours or three hours that we're pouring, uh, just pour me the best one you have. I'm like, okay, let's start here. And like, is that the best one? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to work our way through. And you can tell me. Because they just want spoon-fed. They just want you to tell them what they should like. It's like, you know, that's not how this works. This is going to be an evolution. And you're going to have to start where everybody else starts, at the beginning. Well, it's true. If somebody asks, what should I drink? The first thing I do is, before I answer, is ask them a couple questions. Exactly. But if, if those are posed by a wine professional in the way that they should be, the answers to those questions will direct the psalm or the wine buyer or whoever it is working in that store, if they are indeed a true wine person, to be able to then direct the original asker into what it is they should indeed drink. And I and this is actually important. Oh God, I was just going to say your palate will evolve in spite of yourself, whether you want it to or not, over time. So bear that in mind. Shelley, go on. So it's kind of like trying to find your purpose. In order to do that, you have to first determine your values, and you have to determine your passions, which you have to draw on from past experiences. So it's you just go stepping stone to stepping stone. It's like, lead it, you there. It is. It's it's much like business, and what you were just describing. That's going to be that way. Is this as well? Um, we are going to start something new here at Wine Time Fridays, and that is the Wine Time Fridays, or WTF, Wine Time Fridays, Wine Word of the Week. And we're not starting it this week, we're starting it next week, but I think Trevor has a word he wants to launch this thing on, and what is that word, Trevor? Well, I mentioned as a recommendation for the one you would use next week, but this will be the pre-one for right. this week. Uh, and it is saunier. Saunier. So its root word, it, it is the derivation of, uh, depending on the Latin language, blood. Uh, sangre, blood, uh, sanguinary in English, it means of blood. Uh, and what it means in French, saunier, is quite literally to bleed. I believe it's spelled S-A-I-G-N-E-E. -E. So it is a way that, in, and it's appropriate for today because we're talking about... Uh, International Rosé Day, 
It is one of the methods you can use to create rosé wine. What happens is in the beginning of fermentation, when wine and everything else is on the skins, and the leaves are developing and all the scum of fermentation is developing, some of it can be bled off after having only been uh, in contact with the skins for a short while, and it makes a type of rosé wine. It isn't necessarily a celebrated type of rosé wine, but it, what it does is a couple things. It can make a few cases of rosé that you can then label separately and sell off if you're a winery uh, that might have a little bit more oomph and extraction to it than a typical style of rosé. Uh, but what it also does is it concentrates and focuses the elements that are left in the original fermentation vat because some of the juice has been bled off. So the ratio of liquid in contact with the skins then is greater uh, in terms of the skins and can make a little bit more of a concentrated red wine. Saunier. Saunier. And uh, does this word get used often? Not often. Not often. What, it, unless you're talking to uh, Oregon or Sonoma, California, where a lot of Pinot Noir is made, winemakers who are talking about the wines they make, they will often say, no saunier happened in this wine. Interesting. Meaning okay. this is a more natural Pinot Noir that we're making because it, Pinot Noir is often a grape that will see the saunier process a little bit depending on the producer. They'll often say no saunier uh, as a badge of pride happened in this wine. Mm. Meaning that we didn't bleed it off to gain concentration. Uh, we don't care about over concentrating this wine to try to reach a, a larger common denominator of the market. Santa Barbara and Russian River Valley, also decent Pinot Noir producing regions? So in Sonoma, the subregions of Sonoma Coast and Russian River are, in, at least in my mind, in this wine professional's opinion, the finest Pinot Noirs of the New World, followed by the Willamette Valley, followed by certain areas of New Zealand. Um, Santa Barbara is right on the heels, if not right there with New Zealand. It is largely regarded as Central Coast, the southern part of Central Coast, uh, greater AVA of California. Uh, Pinot Noir, Syrah, of all things, and Chardonnay are king there. And the microclimates there uh, really make for some pretty good world-class Pinot Noir as well, although it is a good several hours drive south of Sonoma. This Pinot that we had tonight from Willamette Valley, the Evolution, uh, 2019. Uh, any oak on this at all? Well, let's taste and... Because and I'm not sure I... There's probably at least neutral oak on this, or some... Oh, I'll go around the long way. A uh, little bit of one or two-year-old oak on this. There's certainly not a lot of new oak on this. For one, new oak is expensive, and as a consequence, the wines that are aged in it tend to reflect that price point. Right, right, right. And this is, again, a 1999 retail wine that we have here on the shelves of culinary stone. Which would Im Im imply probably very little. This sees, this sees a little bit of oak. I'm not detecting any concrete fermentation in this. I would say this sees stainless steel, neutral oak, and a little bit of used oak would be my guess. And, and Evolution, again, is a second label of the famous Sokol Blosser Winery. This has started to open up a lot. It's lovely. The uh, Bridge Press Cellars 2017, that blend, the Bordeaux blend, I felt that was still young at 2017. I thought it was still a little a little tannic, a little tight. I think it could have uh, be laid down a couple more years maybe. Um, Such is the nature of Cab Sauv sometimes, yes. Um, 
It is a big, bold wine. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier acid is a good cue that your wine needs some food, but structure and tannin is also a cue that your wine needs some food, particularly meat fats. Trevor, are you a sports fan? Um, I think you may suspect the answer of this. I like the sort of sports that are, are individual-oriented, like um, if you could rig up cameras, and of course they already have done this, to watch a guy climb a mountain, I would watch that. Uh, sometimes I'm interested in combat sports. Uh, I'm interested in some guy who wants to run across the Sahara Desert for 120 miles. Uh, but team sports, no, not so much. So, until we get to episode 100, and this is episode 62, we are talking about some of the best players in sport to wear that number. And we are getting into some really awful players that I've never heard of. Well, uh, 60, for number 62. So wait, I've got it. I've okay. got it right now. Okay. I can't wait. It was Kurt Rambis who played for the Columbus Orioles. Kurt Rambis, not the basketball player. Didn't he play for the Columbus Orioles? Oh, never mind. It was the Cardinals. That's a joke. And yes, I don't follow team sports. <laughs> but you did get Kurt Rambis, and he did not wear number 62. Carl Rambis. Carl. Yes. Oh, Carl Rambis. So who'd you come up with for 62? Well, Jim Langer and Guy McIntyre. They both played in the NFL probably the 70s and before. I only mention them because we kind of have to. It's tradition. And we move on. Yes. We have to if there are any players. Did Kurt He did. He did. He's <laughs> about Carl Rambis, Kurt's uh, second cousin. He uh, played for the Fort Lauderdale Marlins. I think Carl Rambis had uh, tape over both sides of his glasses, not the middle, yes, yeah, the one, yes. uh, which Kurt was so uh, well known for. Um, I think Kareem did that I don't think so. Um, okay, so do we want to uh, revisit any... I, I, I asked the question, I know my answer. I would like to revisit one of these. I think uh, perhaps the bridge press has indeed breathed by now. Yes, and um, that's what's in Shelly's glass, but Shelly's going to... No, she's got the peanut. Oh, that's, oh, that's true. Well, that's even better. Okay, so uh, Shelly's going to kind of talk a little bit about some of the wines we uh, tasted last week. <laughs> Or during the course of the week, as the rest of us smile, to TJ, who is uh, also a noble rotten, also and noble now rotten. a very, very important member and uh, uh, the manager of Culinary Stone, and uh, we're very lucky to have her. She's been a club member for a full year, and this is the first existing club member that the Stone has ever hired. The Stone has ever hired. Shelley, what did we have this week? We had Honda State, SLH, Pinot Noir, Black Stallion, Premier, Napa Valley, Eunice, and Cabernet Sauvignon. That's one you gave me for Valentine's Day. It was a special wine. It tasted spectacular. The KB Viognier, nice. which was really good. KB. A Jovenea Cellars Viognier Roussin. They're trying. They are trying. <laughs> they are trying. We're trying to be nice. My this is the Barbera de Asti. It's the present June okay. wine of the month here at the Culinary Stone. Yeah, I can't see. Barbera de Asti. Okay. But Heraldica? Heraldica. Trevor? Araldica. Araldica. 
Heraldica Barbaridosity. And then the other one, you know that was one of your favorites. Yes. <laughs> it's your it's your call there, Trevor. Chateau. Chateau La Graviere from the Entre de Mer between two seas. So it is right at the uh, split rather than the confluence because they're breaking off into forks uh, of the Garonne, Gironde, and Dordogne rivers um, in Bordeaux. So it's appellated just a big general area, uh, but this is a lovely white Bordeaux that's quite gorgeous. And I should mention, I, I, was, I wish I had been with you with that Han Estate, Santa Lucia Hills, Pinot Noir, because uh, when that wine hits on all cylinders, it really does. It was, it had a lot more weight. It had certainly more weight than this Pinot. Mm. It, it had a little bit, we, we had it with salmon one night, and the next night I think we had it with, uh, could have been those fan-freaking-tastic burritos you made. <laughs> yeah, oh that's my that's God. Well, it, it was fantastic. Nice. It was fantastic. But it, it was a little heavier, it was a little bit weightier, it's which kind I kind of like. It's kind of the northern part of what you would call the central coast of California, but that whole swath there produces lovely, and, and again, world-class Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and in a few little places, Syrah as well. Uh, if you ever have a chance to visit the Culinary Stone in Coeur d'Alene, whether you're visiting in Coeur d'Alene or you live here, get down here. Uh, seek out Trevor. He will guide you through some wines to, to bring home. And he will ask your price point, what you're, what you're gonna have it to eat with, if it's a party you're going to in the summer, all of that. And, and he will guide you really well into picking out a fantastic wine or check out the cooking classes, or check out his wine classes, or have a sandwich there's at the a deli. Going on right now. There's a, yeah. As we record this, there's a cooking class going on there right now. Uh, Trevor has his own sandwich at the deli, and I'm not gonna ask him to explain that, because then everybody will want that sandwich. I know Ethan made me that sandwich once, and uh, it was pretty good. I would rate it number three of the sandwiches, only because I am a Capone lover. So am I. Love the Capone. Me too. And then, of course, uh, the cafe where we are actually recording this. Uh, it's gotten a little bit quieter now because things have simmered on down. But get a smoothie, an espresso. Just Jeez. and we didn't We're even. That's right. We didn't even talk about all the all the cooking. This is this is Shelly. You can say real quick the culinary stone in a few words. All the stuff. <laughs> you need for your kitchen. If you like to cook, if you like to eat, this is the place. If you like to cook, if you like to eat. Oh my goodness, that's fantastic. So a quick thanks to our sponsors, The Culinary Stone, which you heard from, and then through this entire episode, The Social Web, and Elson Sellers. I had to take a breath there. Uh, Trevor, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we've got, next week, we've got Mark Cook coming up, and we're gonna talk a little bit about wines to pair with barbecue. Uh, we also have in the future three very unique, perfect sunny day wines, which will include a white Rioja, which you know all about that. Oh, yes. It's a fantastic, uh, it's a Pinot, no. Uh, well, as memory serves, it, it, I think it's largely Chardonnay and right, Viera. Right. There might be a little bit of Malvasia, uh, but at any rate, it is an obscure type of wine that's lovely. And we took the last one, so you're not going to be able to find that one down here, but White Rioja does exist. We're also going to do an Albarino and a Picpoul de Pinay. Did I say it right this time? You did. Gosh, that's awesome. And we're working on getting Jody Elsom as a guest in July. We have Shiraz Day, Trevor, make note of this, of July 22nd, National Wine and Cheese Day, July 25th. 
Wine is Like Music with Phil Mershon is actually going to happen on July 23rd. We've been working on it for three months. And we have a great special guest lined up for August, but we're not going to tell you who it is quite yet. With just a little bit of knowledge, wine becomes a lot less overwhelming. Thank you for joining us. Amen. And until next week, have an awesome weekend. Make it a great weekend. Quality grapes, good times, and great wine are meant to be shared. Since 2006, Elsom Cellars has been producing 100% local Washington wine from Washington's top vineyards. Our wines offer distinctive flavors born of a singular desire to create the quintessential gesture of hospitality. Owner Jody Elsom is a pioneer in the Seattle urban wine movement, and as a family-owned winery, Jody's kids have made a big impact on how we do things here. They not only have wines named after them, they also help name our wine club, which we now refer to as Corks on the Loose. For more information on Elsom Cellars, please visit elsomcellars.com or simply call 425-298-3082. Thank you for spending part of your day to wind down with Shelly and Phil. Remember, you can listen to any episode of the Wine Time Fridays podcast by visiting winetimefridays.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us on our Wine Time Fridays Facebook page, Instagram, or on Twitter, which is at Vintage Tweets, for daily conversation. Until next week, here's our toast to you. To health, wealth, abundance, gratitude, peace on earth, and of course, romance. You guys are naturals.